The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Oh God, open our eyes to how you live and reign in this world, in this time. Then help us to jump in and celebrate and participate in it. Amen. Today's always a kind of a weird day in the life of the church because, you see, I, I get up here today and I say that today is the last Sunday of the year. And then you're thinking to yourself, well, Scott has lost it because we're not even in December yet. Well, it is the day, the last day of the year, the last Sunday of the year, because it is the last Sunday of the church year. Next week, when we come to gather together, we'll celebrate a new year as we enter into the season of Advent and the hanging of greens. But that's next week. Today's the last Sunday of the year. It's not well known like many of the other church days, like, well, Christmas, of course, and Easter, not even Pentecost. But today is an important day because on this last Sunday of the church year, the church proclaims its most important proclamation, the most important message that we Christians can share in our world today, and that is our God reigns. Our God reigns. And today we proclaim that on what is known as Christ the King or the Reign of Christ Sunday. Text today is again from the book of Revelation. We looked at it a few weeks ago. This is from the very earliest verses of that book. When John writes this letter, it's 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 Several decades after the life and ministry of Jesus, it's a time when the church is beginning to face a lot of persecution, a lot of being kicked out of their homes as Jewish people and who are now Christians, a lot of being persecuted, especially by the Romans. And John writes this letter, which has been such misinterpreted throughout the centuries. Really, this is a book of hope to those Christians who are living in hard times. In essence, what John tries to say in this book is that despite how things seem, our God reigns. He begins with uh, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. And then he goes on to share a common introduction. Grace to you and peace, John tells us. Now, we know that word grace. That's a, that's a church word if there ever was one. But the word grace in that day had a different sense of meaning for those people in that Roman culture. The word grace, the, the Greek word is charis, charis. We get the word charity from it. The word charis meant favors. And it would remind the folks of, of what is known as the patronage system that the Romans had practiced. Patronage. You had these people who had... The ultimate of wealth, they had lots of money, they had lots of land, they had lots of power. And people would come to them asking for things like a lot of money or a plot of land or some such. Because, of course, nobody had that except for the very, very wealthy. Well, the very, very wealthy would give some of that to these people. This person up here would be the patron. These ones down here would be the client. 
And what was given to them was favors, charis. And then in return, these ones down here, the ones that are the clients, would promise allegiance, would promise loyalty, would promise to, in a public setting, say all these great things about the patron. This was their way of giving favors back to the patron. That is what people would hear when they heard the word grace. It's grace that's about power and control. Grace to you and peace. Again, we know that word peace, but in the Roman times, they knew a particular way of knowing peace, and that would have been the Roman peace. It was known as the Pax Romana in, in Latin. The Roman peace was indeed a time of peace, peacefulness, of quiet, as long as you did what the Romans said. As long as you didn't buck the Roman system, as long as you made sure that everyone knew that you knew that Caesar was God, everything went good. But as soon as you became a threat to the Roman peace, well, things wouldn't be good for you. That Roman peace could turn very violent to snuff out everything that would betray that Roman peace. So when John speaks of grace and peace, these folks that would have heard it knew what he was talking about because they lived under that Roman sense of grace and peace. But we read here that John puts a new spin on it. He says grace and peace from him who is and was and who is to come. Grace and peace not based in Roman power, not coming out of Caesar, not because the patron will take care of us. It's a power far different than the power of Rome. It's far different than any human power. John is speaking of the power of God, a power that pervades all of existence, the God who is in the present, the God who was in the past, and the God who is to come into the future. Later on, he identifies this God as the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha, the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega, the last letter of the Greek alphabet. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. God is all those places and in all of those places. Our God reigns. Not Caesar. And the God of the future isn't just a God who will be in the future. God that John talks about is not a God who is and was and will be. It's a God who is and was and is to come. It's a God who will continue into the existence of all humanity and caring for and looking on. Our God reigns. John speaks of God as the Almighty that word is pantokrator in the Greek. That word is used ten times in the, in the New Testament, nine times in the book of Revelation. Here's a definition I came across of, of this word almighty. Pro pantokrator. Here's what it means. It doesn't simply rule like a distant emperor or is stronger than the strongest contender. Pantokrator is the one who holds everything. 
both in his hands, in his bosom, and in his mind. When I read that definition of pantocrator, that this is a one who holds everything in his hands, in his bosom, in his mind, I thought of the song, he's got the whole world in his hands. Now, of course, though, this word for almighty, this pantocrator, was also a word that was used for Caesar, and it was supposed to just apply for Caesar. So once again, John is turning things around. God is God, and Caesar isn't, because our God reigns. What do we say about this God that John speaks about? It's, it's God who is of right now, who is of the past, and who is to come. It's a God who is, who is God, and there is no other who is this God. There is no other that can claim the allegiance anything other than God. What is it that might claim our ultimate allegiance? It might be our money, or our job, or our family, or our status, or our health, our stuff, our nation. None of that is God, even though we are often tempted to put that as our God. Our God, and nothing else, reigns. Our God is the Almighty, who holds the whole world in His hands power of God, not of Caesar. It's a power that's different than Caesar. But not only does John talk about the God who is and was and is to come, but he also talks about the Jesus. What the power of God looks like in the life of Jesus. He talks to me, he says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, Jesus, the faithful witness... Jesus who revealed God's purposes. Jesus who embodied who God is and what God sees life should be all about. Jesus embodied that. It's a body of practicing love that led him to the cross. This Jesus who is the firstborn of the dead. Now, of course, if you know anything in the book of John, you remember, like, for instance, Lazarus was raised from the dead. But Jesus is the firstborn of the dead because in Jesus' Death, burial, resurrection, a new age began, a new creation began where God's reign is being made real and it begins in the Jesus that we know and proclaim as Lord. This Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Again, a reference that God, that Jesus is Lord and not Caesar But John doesn't just talk about the God who reigns and about the Jesus who is a witness to this God who reigns, but he also talks about us, our role, who follow this Jesus as Lord. John speaks of the God who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. He made us to be a kingdom, priests serving serving his God and Father. We have been made to be God's kingdom. Embracing the way of God in the way we live our lives in this day and time, in all the times of life, called to be God's kingdom, even in times when it seems like everything is chaotic and violent and uncertain and confusing and evil, even in such times, especially in such times 
we are called to be God's kingdom. And we do this with the hope of knowing that our God reigns. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Jewish minister during the rise of the Third Reich in Nazi, Nazi Germany. He was one of the ministers in what was known as the Confessing Church, the, a group of churches, ministers who stood in opposition to Hitler and his rise. Well, Bonhoeffer was arrested. Eventually, he was put to death for being part of a plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler. Well, he wrote a book. Well, he didn't write it, but it's a book that was gathered together. It's called Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Letters and Papers from Prison. It's a collection of, like it says, stuff that he wrote while he was in prison, before he was killed. And here's one thing that Bonhoeffer said about the role of Christians in living their life in such horrific times as it was in Nazi Germany, as sometimes it seems in life right now. Here's what Bonhoeffer said. There are some people who regard it as frivolous. Some Christians think it is impious, impious for anyone to hope and to prepare for a better earthly future. They think that the meaning of present events is chaos, disorder, and catastrophe. And in resignation or escapism, they surrender all responsibility for reconstruction and for future generations. They give up trying. It may be that the day of judgment will dawn tomorrow. And in that case, we shall gladly stop working for a better future, but not before. Until our God comes in whatever final way that God might come, our role in being the kingdom of God does not end. And it doesn't end because our God reigns. And on this Sunday, the last Sunday of the church year, we proclaim this great hope, this most important message that we have, that our God lives and reigns. Next week, when we gather together, we'll start all over and we'll remember how this God came among us, born as a baby in a feed trough. But for now, let's remember that our God reigns. And let us remember as we watch a video, you got that, Rebecca? And if you'd like to sing along, Please do. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got a you and me brother in his hands. He's got a you and me sister in his hands. He's got a you and me brother. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole wide world. In his hands, he's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got a you and me 